0: Maybe seated. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together. Appreciate being a part of this family here at Seven Oaks. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd love for you to turn with me to the 37th Psalm. Psalm chapter 37, and eventually we're going to work our way to where Brad just read for us. Psalm, the 37th chapter, and this morning we're going to work our way to verse number 25. Psalm chapter 37 and verse number 25. Throughout life, there are different things that we look through at different times to help us in different ways if you're like me then all day every day you have to either look through a pair of glasses or a pair of contacts because your eyesight is not that good if I didn't have my contacts in this morning then I would be in some trouble I don't know about you if you're out in the sun then you're going to look through a good pair of sunglasses like this baby up on the screen If you're in the science lab, then you're going to look through a microscope like this one at a blob of whatever it is that you're looking at. I was never that great at science. If you're in the nosebleeds of a concert or a sporting event or something like that, you want to make sure that you take your binoculars with you so that you can look through them and see what's going on. If you want to look up at the stars, then you can look through your telescope. If you want to take a picture of somebody, then you can look through a camera. If you're a pirate then you probably need one of these. It's called a spy glass. If you're a detective like Sherlock Holmes, then you're going to need one of these, uh, like the small circle magnifying glass. I remember whenever I was younger, one time my parents let me look through one of these things at the Smoky Mountains. I had to look up what it's called. It's called a tower viewer. And I thought that it was really neat. I thought that it was really cool until it turned off in about 30 seconds. Then it wasn't so neat. My parents wouldn't give me any more change. We, we look through different things for different reasons and different purposes to help us in different ways, but I want to suggest to you something that's more important than anything we've mentioned so far is gaining the ability to look at the world through somebody else's eyes. As Henry David Thoreau once asked, could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes? if we want to grow as individuals, if we want to better understand and relate to those who are around us on a daily basis, if we want to better resolve the conflicts that might arise with different people in our lives, then we need to learn to view the world through the eyes of another. I think that's healthy, don't you? I think that's beneficial to learn, to gain the ability to see life through somebody else's eyes. I also think that it's healthy and beneficial whenever we approach the pages of Scripture. This morning, as we study together, I want us to take a few moments to look through the eyes of King David. To see what we can learn by looking at the world and looking at life from his perspective. King David is one of the most popular. He's one of the most well-known characters in the Old Testament Scriptures, and rightfully so. Whenever we look through his eyes, what do we see? Whenever we take a walk in his sandals, where do we go? What do we experience? What do we learn? What do we find? Of course, we don't have the time to build a comprehensive list this morning. David's life has a lot of different details that we could spend some time talking about. But let's talk about a few ideas as we study together over the next few minutes. Let's begin by thinking about some things that David saw throughout his life. Number one whenever we look through David's eyes, we see victory. And we see that on a number of different occasions, but perhaps the first thing that comes to our mind is the story that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where the Israelites and the Philistines were encamped against one another. The Israelites were on one mountain. The Philistines were on another mountain with a valley in between them. The Philistine champion named Goliath came out and challenged the Israelite nation. Think about how great Goliath was. Think about how big, how huge Goliath was. The Scriptures tell us when you do the conversions into our measurements that he was probably somewhere between 9 and 10 feet tall. His armor weighed about 125 pounds. And just the head of his spear, just the head of it, weighed about 15 pounds. He was someone who was very strong. He was someone who was very powerful. He was taunting the Israelite army, throwing a proposition in front of them. Send out your champion to fight me. And if he beats me, then we'll become your slaves. But if I beat him, then you have to become our slaves. How did the Israelites respond to that? First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 11 says that they were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. There wasn't a soul in the Israelite army who had the courage to go out and fight Goliath. Well, at this point, David was a young man four different times in 1st Samuel 17 the text calls him a youth he's probably somewhere in his teenage years his father Jesse wanted him to bring some food to his older brothers who were in the Israelite army who were there encamped on that mountain so whenever David did that he heard in 1st Samuel 17 and 23 what Goliath was saying he was offended He was disgusted that this uncircumcised Philistine should defy the armies of the living God. So young David, a teenager, stands before King Saul and says what? Verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath, because of this giant, this champion. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And that's exactly what he did. Da- young David went to stand before Goliath with a staff in his hand. He had five smooth stones and a sling. He speaks to Goliath, in verse, beginning in verse number 45 You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but watch this. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And here's the reason that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. As David stands before Goliath, he's not afraid. He's not scared. He's not intimidated. In fact, David is bold. He is confident that God is going to give him victory. That God is going to deliver this giant, this champion into the hands of the army that belonged to him. David was confident in that and that's what happened in verses 48 and 49. They met on the battle line. David, without any armor, slings the stone. God guides the stone to the place where it needed to go. It sinks into the Philistine's forehead, and he falls down before David dead. Now we could look at a number of different instances in David's life where we see this idea. But when we look in 1 Samuel 17, and, and we look through the eyes of David, we see Victory. God gives him victory in an amazing way. God gives him victory in a powerful way. I want to ask you, have you ever seen something like that in your life? Can you look back on your past and put your finger on a specific moment where there was a giant that stepped in front of you? You thought there was no way you were going to be able to overcome it? You encountered some kind of situation, some kind of circumstance, or some kind of person, and you thought to yourself, this is too much for me. I'm not going to be victorious here. I'm not going to be able to overcome this. There's no way that I'm going to get through this difficult situation, this difficult circumstance, or this difficult relationship. But in faith, you stepped out on the battlefield. And God guided the stone right where it needed to go. God caused everything to fall into place perfectly, and you look back on that, there's not a better way that it could have turned out. And this is going to be the theme of what we're going to see over the next few minutes. Whenever we look through David's eyes, we see several of the things that we encounter in our lives. We look through David's eyes, we look through our own eyes, and we see God granting to us victory in amazing and powerful ways. Number two, whenever we look through David's eyes, we see persecution. After David killed Goliath in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 and 7, there were some women who came out and were singing a song. Saul is struck down as thousands, that's King Saul, and David, his ten thousands. How would you feel about that if you were King Saul? Somebody's... Elevating another person over you. Somebody's exalting another person over you. Well, we see that Saul didn't like it. He was very angry. The saying displeased him. He was jealous of David. And in verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day on. It's my opinion that David did a whole lot more than just keep his eye on David. You go to First Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel chapter 19. He tried to kill David by pinning him to the wall with his spear on three different occasions. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, in verse number 25, Saul gave to David his daughter, Michael, at the price of 100 Philistine foreskins. He did that. You see the reason at the end of verse 25, Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistine. There's no way he's going to be able to do that. There's no way he's going to bring back 100 Philistine foreskins. Well, guess what? He brings back two hundred. God grants him victory once again in that occasion. Basically, when you read from 1 Samuel 19 to 1 Samuel 27, throughout those 8 or 9 chapters, Saul is pursuing David. He wants to kill David. The one thought on his mind is that he wants to get David out of the way. Think about it from David's perspective. Perhaps he's thinking, if he makes one misstep, then his life is gone. One of the most powerful men in the world, the King of Israel, is going to take his life. Whenever we look through David's eyes, we see... Persecution. One of the most powerful men in the world, King Saul, the king of the Israelites, is persecuting David, wanting to kill David, wanting to trip David up because of the jealousy that he had for him. Have you seen something like that in your life? Have you ever had a person that at every turn they were wanting to trip you up? They were wanting to cause you to fall. They were wanting to cause you to stumble in anything that you did or anything that you involved yourself in. Maybe it's because of your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's because of jealousy and envy. Maybe it's because that person was displeased with something that you've done. Have you been there before? Whenever we look through David's eyes, when we look through our own eyes, we see persecution. Number three, when we look through David's eyes, we see loss. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 tells us that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you have somebody like that in your life. They're not related to you. You're not related to them by blood. But they stick closer to you than those who are related to you by blood. That person in David's life was who? It was Jonathan. One of Saul's sons. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 19 that Jonathan delighted much in David. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 17 says that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. That wasn't just a one-sided relationship. That love and that care was reciprocated from David to Jonathan. In 2 Samuel 1 and verse 26, David says of Jonathan, Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Jonathan did all that he could to protect David. Which put him at odds with his father, right? You remember what we just mentioned about King Saul and how King Saul was constantly pursuing David, wanting to kill David. Well, Jonathan did all that he could to protect David and to help David in 1 Samuel 19 and 1 Samuel chapter 20. The last time that they saw one another, you see the great friendship that they had. The text says that they kissed one another as friends oftentimes did in that world. And they wept with one another. David was the one who wept. The most, But then in fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy in 1 Samuel 28 and verse 19, in 1 Samuel 31, the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines struck down who? Jonathan, as well as two other of Saul's sons. When David heard about that, can you imagine the sorrow that he would have felt? Can you imagine the pain that he would have felt as he heard about his best friend in the world being struck down in battle? The Bible says in in 2 Samuel 1 and 11 that he took hold of his clothes and tore them. That's a sign of mourning in the ancient world. They mourned, they wept, they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son. David, we read this verse a minute ago, a part of it, David laments the death of his friend Jonathan I am distressed for you. David, how do you feel about losing your best friend in the entire world? I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Whenever we look through David's eyes, we see loss. He lost that person who was closer to him than a brother. Have you seen something like that in your life? Perhaps you're thinking about a person who you love more than you can put into words. A person who you have so many memories with. A person who was always there right by your side to support you and to stand with you. But that person's not here any longer. We can relate to King David, can't we? We know the distress, we know the sorrow, we know the despair that's associated With losing someone who we love. Number four, when we look through David's eyes, we see sin. This is something that we have to mention whenever we think about the life of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it was the time of year when kings would go out to battle. David didn't go out to battle with his army. He was at home and remained in the city of Jerusalem. He was out on the rooftop of his palace in verse 2. When he saw a woman bathing and noticed that she was very beautiful I think it all starts with David's lust David lusted for her even though he knew he wasn't ignorant here he knew that her name was Bathsheba more importantly he knew that she was married to a man named Uriah who was one of his soldiers out on the battlefield in that moment even though he knew that he called for her he took her and he laid with her The Bible says in verse 5 that the woman Bathsheba conceived and sent word to David that she was pregnant. So David does all that he possibly can to try to cover up his sin. He brings Uriah back home to the city of Jerusalem. And on two different occasions, he tries to convince him, go back to your home, spend time with your wife. See, that would cover up the pregnancy. But Uriah wouldn't do it. Even when David got him drunk. He still refused to go back to his house and spend time with his wife. Here was his thinking. He said, how could I do this? Spend time at home. Spend time with my wife when my brothers are out on the battlefield fighting and sleeping in tents. He says, I'm not going to do that to them. Instead of going to spend time with his wife and to spend the night with her, he spent time sleeping at the door of David's palace. Isn't it interesting that Uriah has more integrity in this moment drunk than David has when he's completely sober? So once that plan fails, he feels like he has no other option. Second Samuel 11 verses 14 and 15, he sent a letter by Uriah's own hand to Joab, the commander of his army, and in the letter, here's what it said: "Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and draw back from him that he may be struck down and die." In other words, let's intentionally kill this individual. That's what they did in verse 17. You find a good summary of everything that David did in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, at the very end of verse 27, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Whenever we look through David's eyes, we see his sin, lust, adultery, lying, deception and murder. David was responsible for those things. What he did in 2 Samuel 11 displeased the Lord. And throughout chapter 11, he doesn't even blink an eye about it. Let's not be so quick to condemn David. Because when we look at our own lives, we remember things that we've done that displeased the Lord, don't we? When we look at our own lives, when we look through our eyes, we can see our sin. We can see the mistakes that we've made. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Just like David, we have all done things that have displeased the God who has saved our souls. And then number five, when we look through David's eyes, another thing that we see is betrayal. After several years of being separated from his son Absalom, because Absalom killed his half-brother Amnon, because Amnon did some inappropriate things with his sister Tamar. In 2 Samuel 14 and 33, they're finally reunited with one another. But that reconciliation doesn't last very long. When you go to 2 Samuel chapter 15, it was four years later when Absalom begins his rebellion against his father David and he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It begins in the city of Hebron. It was in Hebron where the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. When David heard about what Absalom was doing, he knew that he had to run. He knew that he had to flee. If he didn't flee, there'd be no escape from Absalom because all of the people who were coming to his side and supporting him, they had to leave lest they'd be overtaken quickly and bring ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And so in verse 30, you find a heartbreaking moment in David's life where he's ascending the Mount of Olives. He's leaving the city of Jerusalem with tears streaming down his face, mourning as he goes. Absalom makes his way to the city of Jerusalem, enters into the city, and in chapter 16, sleeps in public with his father's ten concubines. He did it in the sight of all Israel. And then in 2 Samuel 17, verses 1-4, through Absalom gave approval to a plan that would deploy 12,000 soldiers just to kill David. He said, this sounds good to me. I'm I'm going to give this thumbs up. Send 12,000 men just to kill my father. Well, if you know this story, Absalom ends up being killed himself. And we see how David responds to that in 18 and 33, that the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Even though David experiences deep grief and loss, whenever he hears about Absalom's death, notice the betrayal. When we look through David's eyes, we see betrayal. His own son trying not only to overthrow him, but to kill him. Have you seen something like that in your life? You know what it's like for your trust to be betrayed. Do you know what it's like for somebody to stab you in the back? This person was supposed to support you, they were supposed to be with you, they were supposed to love you, but then ended up standing against you and doing and saying very hurtful things to you. Can you see how relatable King David is? Whenever we look through David's eyes, we see things that we go through on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. We see victory, persecution, loss, sin, and betrayal. But this morning, I not only want us to notice what David saw, I also want us to notice as we get ready to close this lesson, what David never saw. You look back over the course of David's life, David saw a lot of different things. And he experienced a lot of different things as he lived about 70 years on this earth. But to my knowledge, there's only one thing in the Scriptures that David never saw. And that's where we go to Psalm 37. Is your Bible open there? Notice at the top of the psalm that this is a psalm of David. If you were to read through this psalm, you would read a lot about evil and wickedness versus righteousness. You would read a lot about what God delights in and also what God disapproves of. Eventually, you would come to this statement from David in Psalm 37 and verse number 25, what we read just a few moments ago in our scripture reading. David wrote, I have been young and now I'm old. What's David's situation in life in Psalm 37? He's not a young man anymore. David is towards the end of his life, and as he's towards the end of his life, he's reflecting back on his life, reflecting back on different things that he saw, and reflecting back on different things that he experienced. As he did that, perhaps he thought about the stories that we've talked about so far. I've been young and now I'm old. You can imagine old King David saying, I've seen a lot of things in my life. Notice the one thing he never saw. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His children begging for bread. David says, I've seen a lot in my life, but one thing that I've never seen is God forsaking His people. In the context, he's talking about physical things, but I think we can apply it to emotional things, we can apply it to spiritual things. You think about what David saw On this slide, he saw victory standing before the giant Goliath. He saw persecution from King Saul. He saw loss with his best friend Jonathan, sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He saw betrayal with his son Absalom. The one thing that he never saw, not once, was God leaving, deserting, or forsaking those who belonged to him. We relate to David. We see in our lives a lot of the things that he saw. In our lives we've seen victory. We've seen God work on our behalf. We've seen God grant to us victory in powerful and amazing ways. We've seen persecution. We've seen people who are out to get us. People who are trying to hurt us at every turn. We've seen loss. We've lost people who are close to us. People who we love more than words can describe. They're not with us anymore. And it causes pain and sorrow in our lives. We've seen sin. We've all done things that have displeased the Lord. And we've seen betrayal. I'd say we all know what it feels like to have a knife put into our back. This morning I want to invite us as a church family. To see the one thing that David never saw. I once was young, but now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken. You might see a lot throughout your life. But you're never once going to see God forsaking those who belong to Him. Now sometimes it feels like it. You read through the Psalms, you find these questions, you go through difficult times in your life, and you start to wonder, where is God? Where is God in the midst of all this pain? Where is God in the midst of all my hurt? Has God left me? Has He left me in the rearview mirror? Has God forgotten about me? Does He not care about me? Does He not love me anymore? Sometimes we ask those questions and we feel in our hearts that God has left us. We feel in our hearts that God has forsaken us. Can we find confidence in what David? never saw in Psalm chapter 37, you're never, ever, even if your heart tells you otherwise, you're never going to see God leave His people. God's never going to, as a righteous person, He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to desert you. He's never going to leave you behind. Whether you recognize it or not, God is the one who is with you. God is the one who is walking with you. God is the one who is protecting you. God is the one who is upholding you. God is with you every step of the way. He's the one who's molding you so that you can look more like the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Take a moment to look through David's eyes. When we look through David's eyes, perhaps we find him relatable as we see victory, persecution, loss, sin, and betrayal, what I want us to focus on this morning is what David never saw. He never saw God forsake His people. And if David never saw it, I don't think that you and I are ever going to see it either. I don't know about you, but this is a message that I need to learn to trust. When I think about what's going on in my life, when I think about the different things that I struggle with, I need to learn to put this message at the forefront of my heart and the forefront of my mind. This needs to direct every choice that I make. This needs to direct my steps as I go throughout this week. God is faithful. And because God is faithful, He's never going to leave me, He's never going to forsake me, He's never going to desert me. God has not brought us to this point just to give up on us now. May we learn to trust in that message with everything that we have. God's not going to forsake us, but that doesn't mean that we can't forsake Him. That doesn't mean that we can't leave Him. I want to ask you to honestly evaluate this morning. Have you done that? Have you left God in the rearview mirror in the way that you choose to live your life on a daily and on a weekly basis? If you have, we'd love to help you with that. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. Maybe you're struggling to recognize God's presence in the midst of what you're walking through right now. We want to surround you as your church family. Here's an opportunity to make that need known as together we stand and sing our song of encouragement. Hear the sweet voice of Jesus say Come unto me, I am the way Dark in the light.